0: Anybody here besides me, at least once in your life, do something stupid? <laughs> Where you you end up, circumstances unfolding, and you kind of go, how in the world did I get here? Well, look at this guy here on the screen, uh, the next slide. This guy's name is Larry Walters. You may have heard of him. It's a, it's a little bit, it's a several decades old story, but I love it. Larry Walters was a truck driver. All his life he had wanted to fly. One day he got the idea um, that we're going to talk about while he was sitting outside in his backyard in a Sears lawn chair. He went to the Army Navy Surplus Store and he purchased 45 weather balloons. He tied them to his tethered lawn chair. He dubbed it the Inspiration One. He filled each of these balloons with helium. He strapped himself in the lawn chair, loaded with some sandwiches and Miller Lite, (laughs) and a pellet gun. His plan was to sever the anchor and then float about 30 feet up in the air in his backyard, enjoy the afternoon of flight with some brews and some sandwiches, and then when it was time to come down, he'd shoot a couple of the balloons and slowly drift to earth. But things Go to the next slide. Did not work as Larry planned. uh, His friend cut the cord that tethered it to the Jeep. Larry did not float lazily up 30 feet. He did not go 100 feet. He didn't go 1,000 feet. He streaked into that Los Angeles sky, pulled by these 45 helium balloons. He leveled off at 16,000 feet. (laughs) He was a little surprised and fearful. (laughs) So he was afraid to shoot any of the balloons now because he wondered, well, what if I don't have it balanced as well as I thought? So he just kind of hovered there for a while. He drifted. He took a few beers and took a few sandwiches. He considered his options, and he drifted into the primary approach corridor of LAX Los Angeles (laughs) Airport. Delta and TWA pilots started radioing in incredulous reports of kind of what they saw on the left side there. Well, can you imagine what that would have been like? Seeing a guy, you're a pilot of an airplane, there's a guy out the window in a lawn chair. (laughs) Eventually, Larry gathered the nerve to shoot a few balloons, and he did slowly descend, and he did it in a balanced kind of way pretty well. The hanging tethers that that went dropped below him got tangled in a power line and the Long Beach area uh, had 20 minutes of a power blackout because of him. He climbed down to safety with some help and he was arrested by waiting members of the Los Angeles Police Department. Led away in handcuffs, a reporter asked him why he had done it and he said, a man can't just sit around. (laughs) The FAA was not amused. Safety Inspector Neil Savoy said we don't know what part of the code that he violated, but we're going to find one, and he's (laughs) going to get charged with something. Well, people make poor choices along the way sometimes. And they end up asking, how in the world did I get here? That might be true of the woman in our story today. I'll look at the next one. Uh, For some... Bibles, if you, if you looked at this at home in your own Bible, you might have noticed something a little different about this story. It's set apart by some line bars separating it from others. The idea here is that this scripture is not found, this story is not found in the oldest manuscripts of scripture. Um, they're not sure where it really belongs. Biblical scholars like Leon Morris and F.F. F. Bruce, top-notch scholars say, this is scripture, but we don't know, we don't think John wrote it. We're not sure where it would belong. We don't know if it's a totally separate kind of piece, but it had been passed on historically, and eventually it got settled into the book of John, although most assuredly, John was not the writer. And there's really not a lot of disagreement, though, amongst most scholars that this is a piece of Scripture that fits the life of Jesus very well. This woman is caught, and she has to be wondering, how did I end up here? She was... Most likely a married woman because the law that they were uh, referring to in her accusing her is from Leviticus 20 and it says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both must be put to death. So at some point, this young woman had been a young bride with all the dreams that go along with that of sharing a a loving relationship with a husband, maybe worshiping together, maybe having some children and sharing life together. But... Somehow things didn't work out completely as she hoped. Maybe it was her fault. Maybe it was his fault. Probably they were both in, involved and responsible in some way. Somewhere along the way, though, she met another man. And most likely, it was somebody who listened to her as she talked, told, as she told stories. That's a powerful thing for an aching heart. She's met a man who seemed to care. Very innocently at first, but one day they crossed a boundary that should not be crossed. Maybe it was a touch that lingered a little bit too long that was inappropriate. Maybe it was the beginning of sharing of secrets or inner uh, private things that, that really should only be revealed to your spouse. She talked to this man about things she should have been talking to her husband about. Somewhere along the way, they crossed a relational boundary. And then another set of boundaries got crossed along the way. And it was like she was living two different lives, one very respectable, probably more public, and then another one that she hid from others. She used to be a truthful person, and the lying was hard for her and nerve-wracking at first, but it got easier over time. At first she was sure that others could read the guilt on her face. Maybe she promised God, "I'll, I'll stop, I'll never do this again. But no one read her face. No one found out and God didn't seem to do anything. Eventually she was able to go to the synagogue for worship and and not really feel much of all, uh, uh, guilt at all. She tried to think about other things during prayer and worship. She learned to pretend. Now we don't know from the scripture how many times she had liaisons with this other man. We don't know if it was the first and only or one of many. But one day... The whole thing just blows up on her. The doors open and in march other men. They had been waiting outside. They'd been watching. They seize her. She begs for mercy. She starts to cry, but they wrap her up in sheets and they lead her away. And ashamed, she is thrown in front of Jesus in the temple court area. How did I get here? She remembers her poor choices. It was not all her fault, but she knew that she had made misstep, steps. She was in the wrong here as well, too. It was time to talk to God and get her life on track, but was that even going to be possible at this late hour? So back to the story now. That's one reason why this woman in here is here, but there's another reason as well that we find out in the story. There's some people out to trap Jesus. There are other characters, and there's other sin in this story. Early in the morning it says Jesus went to the temple and he sat down to teach. That was an indication. That's a way of saying a formal teaching session is beginning. A rabbi is going to to do some prepared teaching. It's very public. It's not a private conversation. These men throw this woman into that setting. They're very willing to humiliate her publicly. They're after Jesus. This woman is just the bait. She's part of the trap. Teacher, they say to Jesus, as if they're honoring him. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act. Now the law is quite clear that the testimony of two or three witnesses was required for this kind of an accusation. So two or more of these men had been lingering at a window, hovering outside a door, hanging around outside of this rendezvous, keeping watch. How long did they watch? How much did they see? We don't know. I'm sure you've noticed, especially if you're among the women of our church, that the guy is not there. He's gotten away somehow. We don't know whether he was part of the whole collusion, the, the effort to trap Jesus, or maybe he just got up and got quicker. maybe he had a friend that said, you better get out of here. He's not brought in front of Jesus. But they bring her the law is clear. Jesus, kill her, stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And they think, we've got him now. The setup on this trap was he's been so audible, so so clear about compassion and forgiveness and we want to set him against the law now. Is he going to lean towards the law or is he going to lean towards compassion? Either way, he's going to be in trouble with somebody. This woman is trembling with fear and guilt She's wishing she could crawl away. She's believing she's about to die. And the other characters are going, we've got him now. And they stand there with stones in their hands waiting for his pronouncement. They're despicable. But as we stand here and we judge them, uh, it's good to ask ourselves too, have, have you ever held a stone in your hand? Oh, maybe not literally to throw at somebody, but... Have you stood in judgment of somebody else? Have you stood looking at someone else's life and behavior and going, what a mess? Christian thinkers have traditionally thought of sin in two categories. There are sins of the flesh, things that are outward visible, like adultery, a sin of the flesh. But there's another kind of sin that gets talked about too, a sin of the spirit. It's an inner one. Pharisees are engaged in this very serious form of sin, sin of the Spirit. Maybe they started when they were younger with a warm heart, compassion, but for some reason over time it became uh, clear or in their hearts that they were beginning to become unable to love. They had pride entering in. They had self-righteousness entering in. They started comparing themselves with others to lift themselves up by seeing how bad other people were. As teachers, they were very smart, but through all their giftedness, they were beginning to be filled with impatience and contempt for those who were weaker. Their spiritual power filled them with disdain and disgust for others. Until their hearts were no longer warm, their spirits were full of superiority. And what's so dangerous about this is they didn't even know it. I mean, with sins of the flesh, sins of, of the body, you kind of got an idea that you're doing something wrong, but when it's something in your heart and your mind, you can kind of fool yourself a little better, thinking, I deserve, look, I'm not so bad, I'm pretty good, actually, Compare myself with others. A huge danger is that we might begin to enjoy passing judgment on the failings and flaws of other people. Somebody's kid gets a little wild. Pick up a stone. Somebody's marriage isn't working? Oh, I'm glad I'm not like that. Somebody doesn't wear the right clothes or goes to a different school or doesn't make as much money as you. Somebody screws up at work. They always screw up, don't they? Somebody sings a little off-key. Somebody plays the wrong kind of music or maybe too loudly pick up a stone. There's a tendency that we see as we look through the New Testament is that people who suffer from sins of the Spirit tend to spend a lot of time passing judgment on those that suffer from sins of the flesh. Those are the scandalous ones. Now, Jesus takes both of them very seriously, but he reserves his harshest words for those who have a sin in the spirit, the sin of superiority. So, next slide. Here we are with this woman fearing for her life and her judges with stones in their hands. And there's Jesus. What do you say, Jesus? What do you do? And actually, we'll go to the next slide at this point. What does he start to do? He bends down and he starts writing in the sand. This bothers the Pharisees. Is he ignoring them? He's not paying a lot of attention. He's just drawing in the sand so they keep after him. Hey, Rabbi, what do you say? And then he stands up and he says, go ahead and stone her. You're so concerned about the law. Go ahead. But, but there's one thing. Let the one of you who has no sin at all be the first one to throw. And he kneels back down and he starts writing on the ground again. Do you want to know what he wrote? I do too. <laughs> we have no idea. Over the years, there's been guesses. Guesses. I mean, it was a custom for a judge to write out the sentence and then read it out loud, the pronouncement. Maybe that happened. Some people think that maybe he was just doodling, buying time, creating a moment of tension for people to think about the impact of his last words. If you've got no sin, go ahead and throw first. Some people think that he wrote the names of the people that were standing by. Andrew. And then behind that, he would write a sin like pride. Some people we don 't know some people think he wrote the Ten Commandments, but an amazing thing happens in this moment that he 's created. Somebody lets go of a stone, and then somebody else it says that they they went from the oldest to the youngest, the oldest first let go of their stones they maybe realized and became a little more human in that moment. Maybe they realized that they stood throughout their whole life in need of forgiveness. Maybe they thought of some events in their own life where somebody had granted them some grace. And then they realized they were in the same boat as this woman. None of the stones get thrown in anger. So here's the question for us today. Anybody here holding on to a stone of some kind right now? I don't mean the one you picked up when you came in. I mean, in your heart, is there some place where you're, you've got something going on with another person where you're judging them or you're angry with them or it's preventing you from, from flourishing and being full of love and kindness as God created you to be? Is there a stone in your hand? Are you holding one in your heart today? Maybe somebody hurt you badly. Maybe a mom or dad. Maybe a spouse or ex-spouse. Maybe a boss or coworker. And you're carrying a stone and it's killing the joy inside you. I mean, we usually think this story is about the woman and the forgiveness that she gets. But really, there's a big piece of this story that's an invitation from Christ for people to let go of whatever that's burdening their hearts. Let go of that superiority. Let go of that anger, that frustration, that that peace that, that you're holding on to that's killing God's grace in your life. There's no room in your heart or in Jesus' community for stone-throwing. We're just too broken, all of us are. And we need each other too much. Finally, it's just Jesus and this woman here with this stone fly, pile in front of her now. And Jesus, when you think about it, He could be the stone-thrower. He said, anybody without sin, you you can throw the first stone. Jesus is there. He's a sinless person. He's got the right... He's the one without sin, but he does a wonderful thing. He asks her an interesting question, too. He says to her, where are they? Are they all gone? And what he's saying to her in this question is, look around you. I said if somebody is without sin, they can throw the stone, but is anyone like that now? They've all left. Don't you see? You've been brought here in shame, but everyone is in the same boat. Everyone needs a gift of forgiveness extended to them. Everyone needs some grace. They're really not a lot different than you are. So he gives her a sense of acceptance there as well. But he isn't done with her. He says one more thing. He says, go and sin no more. Could you imagine her going back to her fair after this expression of kindness and grace given to her? After what Jesus has done, how should he, could she betray herself and her husband and enter into that life of secrecy and darkness and unfaithfulness again? There's a new way open to her. Just like there's a new way open to everybody who encounters Christ. She'd tell her lover that it was over now. I'm not doing this anymore. She'd have to go back to her family. She'd have to talk to her husband. There'd be no guarantees about what was to happen, but... She'd have to also find a community that accepted her and offer her grace and mercy and accountability and tough love. She'd have to rebuild her soul. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. So it's our time today. And I love these stories about Jesus because if we look at him, we're actually there as well. It's our time. We're celebrating communion today. We get to reflect on this truth, what Jesus said to the woman. He says to you right now, I don't condemn you. And we begin to understand in a way that this woman did not, that Jesus says this at great cost, because in order for this to come true, I do not condemn you. What really happened was he took on all the junk himself and destroyed it on the cross. And he offers this forgiveness and this grace to her and to us at incredible cost. When we come forward for communion, it's always an invitation, I think, for us to to have some kind of a talk with God, whatever it is that needs to be done in this moment today. Maybe, maybe you're in the position of the woman where you are carrying the weight of something around that you just are burdened with and you need to let go of it. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Receive the love and, and grace that I have for you. Or maybe the other people in the story, maybe there's a part of you that's holding on to a stone of anger or frustration Of superiority with somebody. And the invitation also is to come and let go of that today, too. Uh, There's grace extended both to the Pharisee and this woman. As you come forward today for communion, uh, we've created a little spot on each side in front here where you can, you know, some people have already added some stones to a pile here. If there's something that you're holding on to, some kind of a stone, maybe you want to let go of it today. I told you all to take one when you came in. I wasn't guessing that anybody needed to let go of one, but if you do, as you come for communion, take time for that to happen. And let God speak to you in your heart, saying, I love you. We can have a new day. We can have a new start. Let's bow for prayer. God, this is a holy moment. I would ask that you'd help us, anyone who might have something that we're holding on to a little too tightly, any habit or attitude or bitterness. God, if there's something we need to let go of today, help us to do that in this time. Whatever help we need, God, help us to find it. Whoever we need to talk to, let us talk to them. Whatever we need to set right, help us to do that. This is a holy moment when we meet with you, God, now. Work your way in our hearts, Lord. Amen.